This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name's Andrew Graham, and pretty shortly here, I'm going to be joined by Eli's Alice Drager. I've managed to reel back in from her sabbatical briefly to discuss town gown relations and basically how things are changing or not changing in the light of MSU's rule requiring sophomores to live on campus, increasing development of student housing apartments and high rises and stuff like that, and just a general discussion about where things stand with town and gown relations, housing in the city and how that impacts it, and all those sorts of things in between. So it's a pretty fascinating, wide-ranging discussion. It's pretty much the whole pod today, uh, but I think you guys will find it very, very interesting and hopefully help you understand what's going on or have a bit of a new perspective on town gown relations. So without further ado, let's get into it with Alice. I'm joined now with Eli's founder and now on sabbatical was executive director emeritus, Alice Drager, um, and also as someone who is, are you the are you the Oakwood neighborhood president or are you? I don't know how you guys handle the the repping at Council of we're, Neighborhood Presidents. We're too small and too weird to have officers, so we call gotcha. ourselves comrades and head comrades, and I'm one of the head comrades. There we go. That's. Uh, Perfect. So I have asked Alice to come on today to talk about town gown relations because along with having reported on this in her time at Eli, it has also been kind of her life because she lives in East Lansing and is the town side of the town gown thing, but is also very familiar with MSU. You sit in on something we're going to talk about later on in this podcast, the is it it's the community stakeholders meeting i believe is the name of it or yes and apparently it came into being because of uh covid but now it's being used for other things it's been morphed into other things but that's basically a collection of some higher-ups around the city of east lansing including neighborhood folks and admin from msu and then there's also we just mentioned the council of neighborhood presidents so alice is kind of you you managed to kind of have your feet in everything as far as it comes to town gown relations but yeah that's what part of what the sabbatical is about but the first thing i wanted to talk about was it's tuesday march 1st when we're recording this and you obviously were at the council of neighborhood presidents meeting on february 28th and just based on the emails you were (laughs) sending me it seemed like there was some i guess i would use the word revelatory information coming from both mayor ron bacon and some other sources in that meeting about motivations from msu and and the the sophomores on rule and all that kind of stuff so if you just take me through it because i was not there 
Yeah, so just briefly, so people know what we're talking about, the Oakwood neighborhood where I live is the neighborhood sort of behind Hanna Community Center and wraps down to um, the top of Valley Court Park. So it's a small neighborhood that is primarily student rentals. The rest of us are homeowners who live here year round. And the council neighborhood presidents is a, it doesn't exist in the city charter. It doesn't exist by virtue of an ordinance. It's an old thing that exists and is outside of the Open Meetings Act. And it's basically a gathering of people who lead neighborhoods and they meet with the mayor and sometimes the mayor pro tem to talk about issues. So the revelatory stuff that you were talking about last night that where I was frantically emailing you like, this is so incredibly interesting, (laughs) basically consisted of Mayor Bacon uh, making the claim that, um, you know, while MSU is saying that the new rule that sophomores have to live on is based on the goal of student success and student retention and trying to get students to stay in school and do well, that as far as he's concerned, it's just about money, that it's about their housing corporation and the need to fill the beds. And it was kind of interesting because everybody's been saying that around town, right? But it's fascinating to hear the mayor just sort of slap down. It's what you could have assumed. It's what we can assume when it got announced 18 months ago now is you can just, hey, that will make them more money probably. I absolutely believe that MSU wants greater student retention. Any university would. And they absolutely want better student success. They want students to treat people in the neighborhoods better. All of that is true. They want fewer people to die of alcohol poisoning. All of that is true. But I think all of us also feel that there's a strong financial component. And then the more fascinating thing tagged on to that interesting to me is mayor mark Meadows, former mayor mark meadows is at these meetings and which shadow is a little mayor awkward. mark meadows whatever <laughs> it's a little awkward but he is the president of a thing called a neighborhood it's the abbott woods condo association one of the strange things right. about the council neighborhood president is his some people are there by virtue of being in neighborhoods and others are condo associations so little condo associations have the same power as big neighborhoods in theory. i'm just gonna show up and claim to represent every renter <laughs> in the city of east lansing or something you know you could and i've been pushing for that there is no rental representation whatsoever which is crazy because i think the majority of housing in this city is actually rental housing but in oh, any case the th- inspires a tirade i won't go on right now go ahead <laughs> the thing that meadows said was that over the years whenever um council was poised to approve another big student housing project that MSU would threaten to um, enact the sophomores on policy. And that was super interesting because I didn't know. Basically, like what Meadows was saying is that there's there's been this system whereby MSU has, in fact, been watching to see if the landlords are going to become too big a competitor, essentially, right, to on-campus housing. And if that was going to happen, that they were going to force the sophomores to live back on. Now, we don't have a response from MSU on this, right? But what Meadows was saying, what Bacon was saying, what the landlords have been saying, I mean, it all feels pretty consistent with regard to right. the sense that that for the first time in a maybe in forever, students have a huge choice of housing now. This is yeah. new. And a lot of the housing is shiny and new and nice. And so the incentive to live off campus is going up because prices are either stabilizing or maybe even going down in some places by virtue of the fact that there's now this much bigger market. Some people say the market's oversaturated. If you talk to a student or you talk to a young person like you, Andrew, they won't say it's oversaturated. They'll say, keep building, lower the damn prices, right? I was say, what, so, whatever gets rents to go lower, I am in favor of. Exactly. <laughs> the I mean, abstract. 
And you are exactly the kind of person that the city of East Lansing wants to attract. You are a young urban professional. You are exactly the demographic that can't afford to live in East Lansing. Makes because... me sound cooler than I feel. <laughs> well, nonprofit news pays lousy. And the fact is we can't pay you nearly what you are worth at Eli. And the consequence is you, like a lot of young people, are stuck in this position of wanting to live in a city that's like East Lansing, but the rent prices are really disproportionate to what you're getting, frankly. So now we're for the first time seeing this heavy market of rentals. And the consequence is MSU has made a move to yeah. stop stop having a problem, I think, financially, um, or, or worried about facing a problem financially and trying to stem yeah. the flow. Well, and what's I think what's interesting, too, is you pointed out the sort of this rule has existed for some decades on MSU's books, and they stopped enforcing it at some point in the 80s, I want to say. I don't know. I can't remember that off the top of my head. I was not alive then. But they basically <laughs> just feel old. Yeah, they basically just backed off enforcing it. And it was the usual freshmen live on campus. You can live in a dorm or whatever as a sophomore. We're happy to take your money for that and a meal plan. But if you just go get an apartment sophomore year onward, cool. So basically, the, the real change from MSU is they didn't create a rule. They just started reinforcing one that already existed. And what's kind of new coming off of it is that they've taken this rule they have, reinforced it, and then they've created a carve-out within it for sophomores to live off campus. They said it's not an exemption, but you're exempting people from a rule you have. So, like, definitionally, that's an exemption. <laughs> you can call it what and you the want. And pe the people who get that exemption are people who, for example, their families live here, so they can continue to live with their families, or yes. there's the special group housing exemption. Registered so student organizations, yeah. Sophomores, fraternities, and co-ops, basically. Yep. And that does, and basically for that role, just a quick, the Cliff Notes version of it, basically one registered student organization is allowed one off-campus housing facility for sophomores to live in it. They have to be sort of like proven members of that group they have to meet certain academic and student conduct you know you can't be on probation for underage drinking or academic probation or whatever so there's a pretty clear threshold that msu's created of you have to meet x requirements and be in x good standing to to live in these off-campus houses i think where we're kind of curious to see what's going forward and this is something that came up at the community stakeholders meeting on february 17th the other nebulous meeting we're going to touch on <laughs> in this podcast like the council right. of neighborhood presidents it came up in that meeting the sort of the, a topic is something that i'm sure will be explored more in coming weeks and months of how does off-campus behavior get policed by the city and then how does the policing by the city turn into policing and action from the university and it's not fully clear i i am actively reporting on this subject and i it is still not fully clear to me so there's a lot of layers i think one of the most interesting points to come out of that february 17th meeting was msu is creating a basically a self-reporting policy of if you're living in an off-campus registered student house and the police get called on you for excessive noise and they write you a ticket or you just get a warning you're supposed to tell the university that the police have come and we got the cops called on us for too much noise on, you know, Thursday, whatever. Within and 24 hours, they're supposed yes, to report they're supposed it to, to do it within 24 hours. And I'm just curious if that's actually going to happen, honestly. Well, so here are the problems, right? Like, there are plenty of, well, not plenty, but there are sororities, fraternities, and co-ops that don't cause their neighbors hell. Oh, so oh, yeah. there's they're... one in my neighborhood, the Raft Hill Co-op. It's the student graduate student co-op. 
lovely people grow a lot of vegetables out front like <laughs> terrific neighbors it's just a house of people yeah but there are certainly especially fraternities and co-ops that are not the best neighbors and i mean just an example sigma new which is essentially in my neighborhood which blares right on the corner of music. abbott and burn or Oak Abbott Hill. And Oak Hill. Mm-hmm. I was off the street, yeah. <laughs> Loves to have parties all week long blaring obscene music. It's really hard to work at home when you're having to deal with that. Um, you know, when there's a pounding beat and um, obscenities. You know, I, I have a bit of a sailor's mouth, but trying to work to that stuff gets really exhausting. I keep my sailor's mouth away from my neighbors so they can well, do their jobs. One thing when it's your own. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for those of us who are like off campus dealing with the student long-term resident conflicts to hear that the choice that MSU has made for the exemptions is the houses that drive us the most crazy has not been the best experience in terms of treatment by MSU. So, you know, MSU does say to us, okay, well, they have to tell us if you, if you call the cops and they get a warning, they have to tell us within 24 hours. But this only applies to the registered student organization houses that are specifically designated. And we all know that many of the houses that are the worst problems are not those houses. They're annexes to the fraternities. So the sophomores live in the official fraternity house. And then the upperclassmen create these things that are unofficially called annexes. And they are big rental houses or sometimes small rental houses where the upperclassmen live. And that's where the drinking happens. So that's where the partying happens. And the reason they do this is because then they can make the claim that the house is dry. Well, the main house is dry and the main house perhaps doesn't have the crazy partying that the annexes do. So we've got no power over those because those folks are not required to report as far as I can tell to MSU. It's just a house off campus, basically. And then add to this the fact that city councils, not necessarily the current one, but the current one hasn't changed the message. Previous city councils have given ELPD a very clear message that they don't want what they consider to be over-policing. And ELPD, as far as I can tell, has interpreted this to mean we don't, we shouldn't bother with things like party tickets and noise tickets and that sort of thing unless it's really, really egregious. Yeah. So the folks at MSU, for example, the community liaison people told me that over the welcome week, for example, I think there was one ticket written the entire time and there were many, many parties. There were shot. There have been just, as far as we can tell, shockingly few actual write-ups of tickets. And if those don't exist, then there's no challenge to the housing license. There's no challenge really at the MSU disciplinary level. And so... We're caught in this never-never land where the police are sort of get the message from council, you know, back off. MSU really doesn't follow through. Who are we, what are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to appeal to? And for me, it's been 25 years of this and 25 years of changing administrations in ELPD and the city council and MSU to some degree. And it just feels like, you know, it never gets better. That said, yeah, I, I will can... say that the one thing that's gotten better is the neighborhood resource specialists and people like Tanya Williams in the police department who are not officers, but they are neighborhood resource specialists who help go to the student houses and say when they're sober the next day, you know, you're driving your neighbors crazy and you really got to chill out. And she's very effective. Tanya is very, very effective. Well, and I can say to the tickets point, I, Speaking on my reporting on this, I got back a FOIA request from ELPD that shows, I think, basically for party noise and litter, there were, it was about three dozen tickets for the whole fall semester. Wow. And when you consider how many calls were probably made. You could have written three dozen tickets 
on the day of the Michigan MSU football game. Absolutely. Pretty comfortably and not not covered everything. So I think there's pretty clear evidence of the phenomenon you're talking about of I think it's also reasonable too for city council and I come at this from a perspective of a young person who went to a town I'm not from for college of you want to be welcoming to students. You want to to not be like oh this is a place where the cops are going to come bust your behind and I get that, but I don't, I, there's also the, the, you can't go too far in that direction. And I mean, East Lansing and MSU have a very long history with Cedar Fest and tear gas and all that stuff and don't have time to get into that today. But if you're just not going to enforce the laws, what's the point in having them? And I know that's a very not entirely sound argument, but if the, the message is we don't really need to be policing this, then setting up a whole system to control it based on the police writing tickets might not work. Absolutely. And this is part of the frustration, right? Like if I go to city council and I say we're struggling with, you know, noise and it's going on all night and like well, three o'clock in the nimby. morning. Well, no, I mean, three o'clock in the morning, we're being woken up by fireworks. There. They say, you know, use the law because there are laws against all oh, of the yeah. things that bother us. I mean, the, the excessive noise, the law ordinance says, the noise ordinance basically says that you're not supposed to be able to hear your neighbor's noise from the property line, that you should, you have the right to quiet enjoyment. And it describes what that means. Yeah. You know, the fireworks law basically stops people from setting off fireworks all year round. All of these things exist, but if you can't get the police to enforce them, then it's meaningless. And when the police have been given the message that that's what constitutes over-policing, then they're understandably not going to take action. Right. And I think then this gets to the next point and something where we're not quite as clear or the idea has maybe not been spelled out to the city of, so a, a fraternity or a registered student organization off-campus house they get party noise, a couple tickets for a party they had over the weekend, and they report it to the university. It's their second time it's happened. How does, and this is, I'm not asking you like you know, but this is, I think, something worth discussing and worth trying to understand in this whole thing, is how does ELPD writing a handful of tickets for an off-campus house partying and breaking the law turn into punishment from the university? And there's a whole discussion, so frankly, of should actually, it do. So well, the way that that typically works is that it's referred over to Sue Webster, who's the community liaison for MSU, because there has to be a complainant within MSU's disciplinary system, and the ELPD cannot count as a complainant. So Sue becomes the complainant by using the tickets and moving forward. But if the tickets aren't written, Sue can't do anything. You know, I want to also point out, I mean, the students who make horrible noise and vomit on the sidewalks and keep us up all night and blow off fireworks and stuff, they're a, major a minority of students, oh, right? They're a small minority so. of students. And part of my concern with the sophomores on policy is the way that it's impacting particularly lower income students. Because one of the things that's happening is there's a bunch of students who are junior or going to be juniors and seniors who want to live on campus. And they will be able to if there is space for them. But they don't know yet whether or not there's going to be space because they're not sure how many sophomores are coming and how many are going to live off campus and exactly how many freshmen are going to be coming. And so what's happening is for those students, for those juniors and seniors, they're being forced to sign leases that they may not be able to get out of. And MSU's attitude has been, well, they should just hold off because there's plenty of housing. But that acts as That's how you end if, up living in Lansing. Exactly. That's, that That's, kind of attitude is the kind of attitude that every apartment is fungible, that every apartment is the same. It doesn't matter no. how far you are from campus. It doesn't matter what you're paying. The truth is, if you want a decent apartment relatively close to campus and you don't want to pay too much, you got to sign early. And so yeah, I, I miss, think I've already missed the boat for the good apartments for this fall. 
Exactly. It's March first. So that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm really <laughs> concerned about students, especially the lower income students, whether or not they can fare in this situation. Now, if the big landlords continue to, you know, build more and more housing, obviously some of this is happening in Lansing, some of it's happening in Meridian Township, not just in East Lansing, then I think what we will see is a glutting of the market and an ability for students to have more power as renters. And for some reason, you know, people in the council neighborhood presidents, almost all of whom are, they're mostly white, they're, I think, to a one homeowners, and they're all older. We're, we're a grisly old grade bunch for the most part. There are a few young people, but a lot of us are quite old. Evident and, of the homeownership challenges for younger people in East Lansing. Yes, absolutely. And their attitude is, oh, there's too much student housing being built. You know, there's too much because I see so much of it. Well, it may feel to us as homeowners like there's just so much student housing. But again, for young people like you, the more student housing gets built, the more options you have, the more power you have as a renter. You know, the prior council, as you know, tried to get rid of um, the system whereby people start looking for apartments like almost a year in advance and have yeah. to put down giant deposits a year in advance. But that they won't have to regulate that if we have enough housing that student renters and young people renting and renters, regardless of who they are, have more rental power. Yeah, if you could just because I know that a similar sort of it kind of gets it's like the the lease gold rush for off campus housing, and it's not an MSU specific thing. A similar thing happened at I went to Syracuse. I remember we signed a lease I think in early November, my sophomore year, to live in a place. My junior year, granted, we knew about it. We kind of we got ahead of the game a bit, but by January, February in Syracuse, everyone's rented up for the next year and has a lease signed. And you know there might still be that sort of artificial rush and the the there's always going to be somebody who wants to try and get in first to try and lock down that really nice apartment sure. whatever okay but if there is like you're talking about if there is that sort of glutting and it's just like in march i can still you know whatever i just wander over call up this company get a tour i'm in an apartment that's half a mile from campus walk to the bus stop and i'm paying 850 a month and i get it lined up in june for the fall like cool like, yeah. and, and that that would seem to be a place we're headed as the and we'll, when we say student apartments, we should be clear that they're not restricted in some way. It's just that they're right. ta they're tailored that way. And frankly, nobody who's not a student probably wants to live among a bunch of other college students just <laughs> realistically. But well, the other challenge is that for the newer apartments, they really are in large part designed for students and that can make it very hard to to um, transition them to a different yeah. market which is part of the challenge i mean we saw this with newman lofts where right they're supposed to be designed for seniors and so it could be hard to redesign them although i think students would rent them in a heartbeat if they could well but, i also but, think we've learned with newman lofts that they're not that well designed for seniors but <laughs> that's, that's, true. that's another they're topic in theory too. designed for, students, <laughs> for seniors but for the ones that are up on on the northern tier on up on chandler you know, typical apartment up there is a four bedroom apartment with four bathrooms attached to the bedrooms. The bedrooms are relatively large. The bathrooms are attached to the bedrooms. And then the kitchen is tiny and the living room is tiny because they're really designed for students who are going to spend most of their time on their own at, or at school and not spend a lot of time necessarily in the living room together and certainly not spend a lot of time in the kitchen because they're not going to be big cooks. It, now, if those things empty out and you need to 
try to rent those, for example, to families, those are lousy family apartments. And so one of the questions is, as we do end up with a lot downtown and the northern tier empties out in terms of the students, and we are seeing fewer students renting up there, what's going to happen with the northern tier? And I think that is an open question. That's a really interesting question. Those places could be rehabbed, right? They could be rehabbed and become something else. I mean, they could become senior housing. They could be really interesting senior housing if it was rehabbed. Or turn them into condo, duplex. There's so many. Condos don't sell in East Lansing, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's all about the economics. And people love to say what should get built, but then they have to recognize, well, it's up to the developer's economics well, on whether or not The developers are always going to build, not always, but they're going to be inclined to build the thing that cover, like makes them their profit sort of the easiest. Like they're not going to build, just because East That's Lansing wants, wants low to moderate income housing, it is like, wow, we would really love this. It would be great and make some laws to make it easy. If the developer can't build something at a cost that enables them to charge rent that is low enough for people to get in, you can't do it. Absolutely. So much of East Lansing's housing market is driven by the fact that there's a 50,000 person enrollment, roughly public research institute across the street, and that will fundamentally drive your housing market. And so it's developers i think it's understanding that developers are inherently incentivized in this town to build student housing before anything else yep and i think because that's what pays that's that's what makes you money and land here is expensive well especially in the downtown region land is expensive construction prices are very high right now labor prices are very high so where is there any kind of profit margin well the kind of profit margin that they find is student housing it's 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 in people who aren't paying their own rent really is yes where they're making their money and that's I right think there's one last point i wanted to touch on here and i think it's not overlooked but not we haven't discussed it a bunch is based on what msu's told us the amount of sophomores that will now be living on campus or the the, the sort of net gain is about 1200 students i believe i think they said 12 to 1800 yeah yeah so like 2000 at the most and i think there's something to be said too if you mentioned the sort of economic burden on some of the upperclassmen but I also think about, barring financially, living on campus is really expensive at most schools these days because you have to get a meal plan, I imagine. And it that's is. super expensive. So I just wonder about, and I can't speak super, I, I, don't, I don't have a wholly informed perspective on this, but just what is the actual added financial burden to someone who was going to save a bunch of money by living in an apartment sort of over Lansing way as a sophomore and grocery shop and cook for themselves and not be on a meal plan like there are presumably maybe some people who stand to do worse financially because of this decision from msu I absolutely think so. so and that adds to student debt and we know where the student debt problem leads yep. the endless cycle of being a- unable to get out from under it yep yeah cool is there anything i didn't cover i, you, I Oakwood, think you got it comrade <laughs> <laughs> I should mention Andrew now lives next door to me, so he's living the life. I've, I've called it, I've termed it formalized squatting because I'm kind of house sitting and it's not. <laughs> house sitting is legal under the city's ordinances. I jokingly call it formalized squatting because that's kind of what it feels like. I'm looking forward to the spring when you can report live on the noise. I'm just looking for the spring because it'll be spring, but. Yes. Awesome. Alice, thank you for coming on and talking about this. I know this is a it's a fraught subject at various times, but there's a lot, there's been a lot happening recently and it's, it's a good point, I think, to kind of play a little bit of catch up and just go over things. So indeed. Thanks, Andrew. And once more, thanks again to Alice for coming on and talking about 
this whole deal. She is uh, a better perspective, I think, than I can provide just by virtue of age, residency, all those sorts of things. I am I am more a college student than I am not still at this point in my life, I think. So I found that very helpful, and I hope you guys did too. Uh, that's pretty much all we've got time for today. I just want to say thanks again to Alice, and you can check out a lot of other reporting on this subject at eastlansinginfo.news. And there's actually going to be some more reporting to come in the near future. So a little podcast end of show teaser to some upcoming Eli reporting. But make sure to check out eastlansinginfo.news and keep listening to Impact 89 FM. I'm Andrew Graham, and thank you so much for listening. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.